You're listening to the Painted Goddess Podcast with Jennifer Hershey, episode number 31. Hello, witches. It's Wednesday, or it might be another day. <laughs> it's free all the time, whenever you want to listen. But I launched this, launch this podcast every Wednesday and have been doing so for 31 weeks. Um, I'm, you know, really proud of myself for doing so. If any of you have done something over and over again, you know how it can kind of become a thing. The last couple episodes I interviewed people and, and it was so much fun and there will be more of that. But I was excited this week to get back to just kind of sharing um, with you about the cosmos and witchcraft and not that that wasn't part of what was going on in those interviews, of course. And if you missed any of them, definitely go back. You know, the the interview with Heidi was, um, you know, mind blowing for me. I have a list of questions we've been talking. We definitely will be doing more podcasts together. Very fun. And the last one, Foxy's Astrology uh, conversation. We talked about Pluto and it's very relevant for now where I'm going to continue to talk about the dark side of the year because that's what's up for everyone. It's definitely starting to kind of constellate deeper. And um, so today we're going to talk about Samhain. So Samhain, Samhain, uh, Samhain, uh, so many people say it different ways. The I looked this up because I'm so Virgo um, Samhain is what I see most often, and it's the Celtic way of saying it. Um, and again, that's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. So I'll just say it. I think that's the right way to say it. If you've got an accent of some kind, obviously you're going to say it a little different. And Halloween does come from this translation in some way. So Samhain um, is one way that I've heard it say that I probably say is the at least second most popular way to say it um and someone from Scotland may actually say it that way instead of Samhain but that's how I'm going to say it so there you go but first I just wanted to kind of you know do a little housekeeping tell you what's going on with me and and Painted Goddess HQ (laughs) which right now is my living room sometimes it's my dining room sometimes it's my patio which is it what it was over the summer as my kids were home from schools Uh, break. But um, yeah, so you know, I'm in the fourth week of this second session of the Tarot Collective, which is my online course where I teach an intuitive way um, of learning tarot, where we learn the foundations of how the tarot decks are structured with the suits and the major arcana and elements, the symbology, we really kind of um, give ourselves a good foundation. And then we go through every one of the suits right now, we just are in the fourth week, like I mentioned, and it's integration week. So the fourth week, I really take a beat and we talk about just kind of integrating what we've learned so far, the air suit of swords and the fire suit of wands. Um, Traditionally, of course, you know, there are other symbols that artists use in different tarot decks, Um, specifically one of them in um, my, my group. One of the students is using the Wildwood Tarot, which uses um, bows and arrows and bows are the wands 
and arrows are the swords. And I think that's really beautiful the way that that kind of shift in, in, um, in symbology can still give us such rich storytelling fodder, right? And that's really what tarot is about. Tarot is about storytelling. It's about creating conversations with the elements and with symbols. And um, it, it, you know, you can use whatever fodder you have within your kind of collective psyche, your tool bag of metaphor, your storytelling genius, and, you know, begin to apply that to um, the, the language of tarot, right? The, 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 the imagery um, becomes language. And um, so we're in our fourth week and it's just been really beautiful to um, be with this group of students and I'm really excited to continue to offer this. You know, I wasn't sure, you know, I was sure I, I, when I created this course, um, it's an eight week long course um, that can be taken online. We do a live every week to um, be together, <laughs> which, you know, everybody's got different schedules, so it's definitely not been the most successful getting everybody in the room at the same time, but, but it still makes the content alive in a way that's different than the recorded video classes, which you'll have access to forever. If you're a student of mine, um, I've opened up a uh, membership site, uh, portion of my site rather, and, you know, I'll just keep adding things to it this year. Um, I added a few extra, you know, designed elements and kind of cleaned up some of the language, gave, um, a new foundations workbook that really outlines, you know, some basics that I think are foundational work to begin working with the tarot. Although it's all optional, right? A lot of it has to do with how you ritualize your daily practice around tarot. And it's a, you know, take what feels useful and leave what doesn't um, kind of mentality to be sure. Um, but I find that it's been really lovely to see how other people express and translate that work. Um, as they go through the course, it's been really lovely. I'm going to teach it again. As I mentioned, I, you know, I was saying I wasn't sure if I would teach it forever. It just feels really like it's going to um, continue to grow and be um, a piece of my foundational work um, of teaching in this world. It's a calling that I have to just teach, you know, what it means to use tarot and really find your unique voice as a reader. Um, and approaching it fairly intuitively, um, but also giving that foundational structure. And then, of course, to be in the course, there's um, a Facebook group that is, um, com you know, uh, c categorized into units so that you can kind of follow along and click done when you've done things. Feels really um, <laughs> uh, good for a lot of people, I think, to have that check mark, that gold star that I finished this piece. And yet, you know, every time the Tarot Collective goes live and starts another session there's new students in there having new revelations having new insights into the cards into their meanings into the symbols into the elemental structure of the tarot as well and and you know i'm so excited as we go through this that it just builds and builds and builds truly a collective experience and truly a collective voice uh, that's forming and it's really exciting my next session will be mid-january starting then and I'm going to be updating my website so that there'll be a wait list um, or at least a um, info list. If you're interested, please go to paintedgoddess.com slash classes and there'll be a place for you to put your name in so that you know when um, the course launches in, and um, registration gets opened up, which will probably be around New Year's, I would say, um, maybe just before. 
Okay. Um, I'm also doing a few other updates as the year has progressed. You know, I left my corporate job last year and um, had a lot of different offerings. I offer astrology and tarot readings together. Um, and, you know, everybody's got the favorites. And I've noticed what, you know, is of interest of people and what isn't over this over the course of this you know, three quarters of a year, and I'm going to be starting to pull back some of my offerings. Now, that may happen immediately, um, and that may happen at the beginning of the year, but my my thought is that I'll keep my 12 house reading, which I really love. I think it's deep work. It's very um, popular. It's my most popular reading, and, um, and that's going to be probably going up in price a little bit because um, of the time it takes for me to really do that uh, reading well. Um, so if you want one before the end of the year, you can grab one now. Um, it may be, like I said, changing in price. It won't be a lot. It'll probably be, you know, 150 instead of the 125 that it is right now. But I think that I'll also be pulling back some of the other offerings. I have two different ones, uh, full moon and new moon readings. I think I'll probably combine that into a, um, moon cycle reading and um, so that it's kind of at any time you'll see the new moon, the full moon, and we'll be able to talk about the full cycle, which I think is um, really lovely. And, um, and we'll do some kind of, you know, restructuring a little bit with that. I do have natal chart offerings, but I think I'm going to pull that down because for the most part, I really enjoy reading um, for people with tarot combined and a natal chart reading is so much different than you know a transit reading with the 12 houses so I think I'm going to take that down um, just because you know for one not many people order it but also it's um, not my favorite thing to do in and of itself right I'd rather have people come in and do the 12 house reading we do a pretty good job through that I do a pretty good job through that work of, of talking about people's natal charts um, the basics and, and talking about, you know, what kind of thumbprint they came into the world with. So, um, yeah, just kind of things are changing and shifting and I'm learning, um, what's working and what's, you know, kind of really aligned with what I want to do and how I want to serve my clients. So there's that. I'll also say in, in, in light of that, you know, I often have been putting together seasonal readings. You know, I did a big push at the beginning of this year for February where I did self-love readings, radical self-love and righteous unions. So uh, ones which were kind of a sinistry chart and tarot together. It was a heart-shaped tarot spread with, and I look at two charts and talk about the sinistry between the two of you. Um, I'm sure that I will offer that again in February of this year. So um, I really love to talk about love and to talk about relationship and it's definitely something that lights me up but right now um, and there'll be other seasonal readings I think too as I take the other pieces of the base readings down and really limit it to two right it'll be the cycle reading and the 12th house reading pretty much I think that's pretty much all I'm going to offer and then um, and then I'll have a seasonal offering and my seasonal offering for right now is a Jupiter reading for 2020. And Jupiter actually moves into Capricorn on December 2nd. I've said this a bunch of times in other podcasts, so I'm not going to go into great detail here. But if you go to paintedgoddess.com slash readings, you'll see the Jupiter um, reading expand your vision 12-year um, 
uh, 12 card year ahead spread reading. Uh, it's a mouthful. And I have 10 spots left is all. So, you know, I had 36 spots in the beginning. I've got 10 left. If you want one of those, I highly recommend you get in until the 31st of October. I'm offering a, a huge discount. Normally it'll cost 125. So after the 31st, um, it'll be 125. Until then, it'll be $97. You can book your spot today by going to paintagoddess.com slash readings and then clicking on the book now button for the Jupiter um, year ahead spread. And um, it'll take you to a survey monkey survey and you'll fill out all the information, including your birth information. Um, and um, if you're focusing, you know, there'll be like a question about what you want to focus on, just so I know what you're really kind of going through. I'm always going to talk about what the cards bring up and what's actually happening in your chart. So if you're lying to yourself about anything, then that shit will come up for sure. <laughs> but it's always nice to know what you personally feel like you're going through or are working on when I go into a reading because I want to be, I want to be sensitive. I want um, to be informed about what you're actually going through. Sometimes we're going through some really deep shit and it's really important for me to be aware of that so that I can really choose my language well. Um, because sometimes things come up that are really tough in these transits. And if something actually has impacted you in a way that's really brought you, um, to a place of transformation or grief or whatever, I really want to make sure that I'm holding space for you in that reading. It's meant to be, um, you know, a complimentary, uh, to, you know, kind of uh, deep work. Um, and it's like, you know, this work is really complementary to any kind of self-work that you're doing, whether that be um, that you're going through counseling, you're going through um, a midlife change, you're going through a quarter life change, you're going through an end of life change, you know, you're going through menopause, you're going through um, losing a partner, you're going through your children growing up, you're going through having your first child, you know, all of those kinds of transitions, um, are really important for me to know about. So there's a space to say that. And um, these readings will give you um, 12 cards, basically starting in December, right? So the first card, you know, the first month of Jupiter being in Capricorn will be December and it'll go through November of next year. So it's mapping out kind of the energies of every month and kind of will help to give you, it'll be a, it's an anchor point that you can come back to every month and say, oh, what is, what was that reading, you know, so you can listen to it now, of course, in its entirety, but it's going to be this anchor point that you get to come back to every month next year as things kind of progress and say, well, what, what did the cards ask me to focus on? What was a piece of medicine that came up for me? Um, I'm going to be using the um, Wild Unknown Tarot and spirit animals together so you know sometimes you'll have an animal totem that will be like an ally to you and sometimes there will be um, a tarot card that will you know bring in archetypal or um, kind of progressive type medicine based on elements and symbols it's going to be a super rich lit reading it's something that I do for myself and I'm now offering it um, up so again there's 10 spots left um, if you know, if my schedule lightens up, I might take a couple more of, of those, um, depending on, um, but if you want in now is the time. So I guess I've really talked about that. Let's see. I made notes today. I'm so, you know, I actually don't know where the moon is today. Um, 
It's probably in Leo. Anyways, so, um, yeah, now I have to look because I'm just like that person. I'm that person. <laughs> and I have it everywhere. I just am being lazy. Um, the sun enters Scorpio on, on today, Wednesday, as you listen to this or, you know, did on October 23rd, just so you know. And um, the moon is actually um, in Leo. It is. Yeah. Wow. I did it. So um, that's how, you know, I'm really, I've, I've really been, you know, focused on the moon for the last three years and it's starting to really hit where I can kind of, you know, whatever, be in that. So yeah, the moon entered Leo on Monday of this week, the 21st, and, um, and is in Leo today all day. And I have a lot of creative work scheduled for myself, including recording this podcast. So I'm super stoked for, for planning (laughs) as most Virgos are. So, and then, yeah, the sun enters uh, Scorpio tomorrow, the 23rd, and the moon enters Virgo after a, um, a void, of course, most of the morning. So, you know, around noon is when the moon enters Virgo. So get out those to-do lists. You're going to need some emotional um, support and planning is highly recommended during moon and Virgo time. And it's going to be in Virgo all Thursday as well, the 24th. So again, making, making space for strategy for self-care too. You know, Virgo really is all about um, balancing serving others with serving yourself. So it's a good day to remember yourself and remember how to be of service to others as well. And then on Friday, the moon will go into Libra after a void, of course, in the morning. And, you know, the 25th, the Friday is when I'm going to have um, the new moon in Scorpio circle. The moon, moon doesn't get new <laughs> um, until Sunday, the 27th. So the new moon in Scorpio comes in um, in the evening around um, in it's 1138 um, Eastern Standard Time. So Pacific Standard Time is 838 and um, the moon enters Scorpio. Um, around 4.30 um, Eastern Standard, so 1.30 Pacific Standard Time on Friday, or on Sunday, and then the new moon comes, which means that the sun and the moon are conjunct, right? So they're in the same place in the sky. And, you know, as I've mentioned so many times before, new moons are wonderful for setting new intentions. It's a great way to actually, you know, call it a new moon, a new lunar month, and to really look ahead at the next moon cycle and say, well, what am I in for? And Scorpio, again, is really about um, healing deep emotional wounds. And um, so this is this is a great time for us to really nurture ourselves, you know, as the days get darker, as the nights get longer, as the days get shorter, you know, how can you support yourself through it? And I actually, you know, I recorded an entire podcast about, you know, um, witchcraft for dark times, I think it's called a couple episodes back, still very relevant, you know, um, and it's, it's mostly about, you know, self-care and protection, how to kind of bring those pieces in. So I hope that you're taking care of yourself and taking, um, note of how you're feeling, you know, Scorpio season really wants us to really tune into our desires and tune into, um, the deeper emotional waters that we carry with us. And, um, 
Yeah. And this year has been crazy, actually. You know, I want to say, um, you know, last November, and this is kind of to do with the Jupiter cycles and the, the reason why I find Jupiter cycles so interesting to follow. Um, number one, Jupiter is the most benefic planet um, in the zodiac. Um, it brings with it luck and fortune. It expands whatever it touches. Now, that also means that if it's transiting through um, you know, somewhere in your chart where you've got Pluto and, or you've got really, uh, you've got Mars squaring Uranus or, you know, you've got some crazy kind of squares going on and different things. It's going to activate those parts of your chart and it's going to kind of widen the cray, right? It's going to blow up the crazy. It's going to, you know, make you feel a little out of sorts. Um, and to know that, it's just like if you're on a, like when you're on a subway or on a, like a train, right? If you're standing or on a bus, if you're, or on a boat, right? If you're standing on something that's moving, like we are, right? We're spinning through the universe. If you're standing on something that's moving. If there's a difference between standing on solid ground, right? I'm thinking of Tadasana, you know, mountain pose and yoga. If you're standing on something that's solid, it takes a different kind of presence, rooted groundedness than standing on something that's moving. And when we, when we get into Scorpio season, these emotional waters kind of sway us around. And if we're not really paying attention, it'll knock us straight the fuck over and it'll sweep us down under the undertow. And all of a sudden we can't breathe. And I think that that's one of the pieces of medicine that I love about astrology, that I love about understanding the cosmic weather, because it helps me to, to reground. You know, if I know I'm not standing in sturdy water, I'm going to hold my core a little different, right? It's just like, you know, knowing that we're in the pre-shadow of Mercury retrograde night right now, and Mercury will go retrograde um, on Samhain, on Thursday, October 31st, in the morning, um, and it won't go direct until the 20th of November. And, and that's Mercury retrograde this year, this fall, is in Scorpio as well. So Mercury, again, is that mental aspect. And, and so we're kind of really diving in to the mental, um, you know, emotional piece. It's like, how do our emotions create um, our lives, right? We act from our emotions, so whatever we're feeling, we act from that. We act from passion and desire, all these Scorpio things, right? It's very deep, um, deeply um, embedded in us. Some of these things that we do, we've done since we were young. You know, notice, you know, Scorpio is a fixed sign. So it often will find its anchor and really stick itself in thinking like the muddy muck that's at the bottom of the ocean, how deep that sediment goes, and we stick ourselves in there and we say, this is what it is. And that can be how we emotionally react to the world based on how we were raised, how we, how we learned emotional language, what, what emotions were available to us um, when we were young, right? Our emotional language, our emotional um, intelligence. And, you know, of course we evolve and we grow and we're experiencing um, challenges and hardships and achievements and victories and relationships and um, power struggles and all sorts of things that come from emotionally wanting to feel actuated, wanting to feel um, 
alive, right? And so, you know, this time of year is really asking us to, 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 to look at what it is that we deeply emotionally need to heal so that we can stand a little stronger in, in the emotional waters of our life. And with Jupiter having, you know, going into, um, having been in Sagittarius all year, you know, it's here with us in this way that we want to expand and learn, you know, Sagittarius is, is, um, where Jupiter, it's Jupiter's ruler, or I mean, sorry, Jupiter is Sagittarius, Sagittarius's ruler. And so it's been in its quote unquote home energy all year. And so it's really activating in us like this wanting to learn and, and has bring, brought to us, you know, gifts of understanding our vision of what's possible, right? In the ninth house, it receives blessings of becoming more in tune with our own purpose, right? It's a very fortunate time to connect with our greatest calling this whole year has been. And that may mean different things for some people. For some, it's required a ton of work and trauma, right? And what's interesting to me, and, and you know, we're, we're ending this, um, this Jupiter year with this Mercury retrograde um, throughout into November, and then literally like a week and a half later, it shifts into Capricorn, right? Jupiter does. So, so this Mercury retrograde happening in Scorpio is really asking us to really get deep. And not just this Mercury retrograde, all the Mercury retrogrades this month, or this year rather, in 2019 have been in water signs. Okay. February's was in Pisces. We had a Mercury retrograde entirely in Pisces. Pisces of course is also a water sign. It's the mutable water sign. It's the shifting tides. So it's us standing at the shore and, and trying to track where we are emotionally and feeling that kind of cyclical nature of our own um, emotional life right? It's where we move. It's where we feel a little wishy-washy. It's where we don't want to make decisions. It's also the place of psychic intuition and spiritual um, subconsciousness, right? It's the things that we bring into the outer from the deep within of our soul connection to divine. And then we had the cancer, the Leo cancer Mercury retrograde, right? So it brought that fire piece, it had a touch of that fire piece, which by the way, we've had so much happening in Leo um, the prior year when the lunar nodes were there, we had all those eclipses, you know, that, that solar eclipse that happened in the U S that total eclipse happened in Leo. And so it's touching that piece, but it's also going into cancer asking us again, you know, cancer is the, the ultimate mother, right? So we had this Mercury retrograde, re, you know, really reviewing, um, that, you know, what it means to be mothered to us, what it means to be nurtured. You know, how are we nurturing ourselves, right? And kind of taking the power back. You know, we have to review it as adults. We have to review it as people. Well, how am I nurturing myself? And again, we had that um, cancer um, eclipse as well in July. And so that kind of punctuated that, that time, that Mercury retrograde happening then too. So then now we're having this last water sign, right? There's three um, signs in each element, and this last water sign, Mercury retrograde, is it's just digging out all the deep emotional and and we've been preparing for this every, you know, because the Pisces stuff, it's like, you know, it's like, what am I devoted to? What am I spiritually, what spiritually connects me, right? 
And how does my mind play tricks on me around what's real and what's not real, even, maybe, right? Because dream, dream life is so important to a Pisces. And with Jupiter and Sagittarius, while this is all happening, you know, we are expanding our perimeters. We're pushing out the boundaries. We're kind of starting to really um, expand the, 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 the limits of our influence, Right. So notice how you've expanded your circle of influence this year. Notice how you've reached out and and um, been vulnerable. Right. Because that all the water signs super comfortable in their vulnerability in different ways. Right. It all it all requires safe space. <laughs> right. But it, but we really have been tested emotionally this year. <clears throat> And it's all been under the, under the sky of Jupiter happening in Sagittarius all year. It's really fucking beautiful and treacherous too. So, so this, this last bit of time, it's really, really amazing. And um, I think that, you know, this December when, um, in, on the second, when, when Jupiter shifts into Capricorn, it's going to shift into the 10th house. Um, and the 10th house is a house of legacy and, and, and the father and unresolved karma, right? The last time Jupiter was in Capricorn, um, was 12 years ago. So, um, 2008, you know, and what happened for us then, you know, I mean, that might be something just to look at. And if you're interested in really diving deep, that's something that I mention while looking at your Jupiter um, Jupiter reading for the 12 year ahead or the 12 month ahead, the, the 12 card year ahead spread. So and then just as a little so I, I talk a little bit about the lunar nodes, you know, all eclipses happen on the lunar nodes. Right. So we shifted lunar nodes from um the Leo Aquarius to um, the Cancer Capricorn. And so the Cancer Capricorn lunar node, the North node's been in Cancer, the South node's been in Capricorn. And, you know, now Jupiter's going to move into where that Capricorn North South node is, but the lunar nodes don't shift until May. And so there's this, there's this time where it's going to really start to work on this karmic, you know, this karmic shit and, and really finalize the unresolved karma. Now, there is all sorts of other stuff going on in Capricorn. And if you want to listen to the last podcast where I talked to Foxy from um, Feeling Foxy over 40, after 40, she and I have a really great conversation, I think, about all the ways that Capricorn is kind of um, helping us really move into the age of Aquarius and push that forward. But the last time the lunar nodes were in Cancer Capricorn was in 2000 to 2001 when 9-11 occurred, you know, and we really started to freak out about the threats of all these things. And notice how we've evolved now. Now we're lifting up voices of people who have mostly been unheard. You know, white people are finally starting to notice you know, the culture of colonization and to look at ways to, um, you know, to heal um, what the ancestors we all share have endured, both as white people and as non-white people, non-privileged people, haves and have-nots, all across the board in terms of, you know, how people, 
you know, come to, to have abundance, right? Their access, their access to the good things in life. And in May of 2020, the lunar nodes will shift. Um, the north node will be in Gemini. The south node will be in Sagittarius. So notice we had this whole year of Jupiter in Sagittarius, and then the south node will be there. Now, south node is stuff that we've, quote unquote, learned already, but are, are, are fixing into our way of being. And so, you know, what have you spent time learning this year? What have you spent time really learning about yourself? And again, your, your true purpose here, um, you know, the connection to your greatest calling. How have you expanded your perimeter, your, your circles of influence? Okay. <laughs> that is the whole thing. When we come back, um, we'll do a little break and learn and talk about Samhain. Welcome back. I took a little break outside and ran my fingers through all of the herbs that are in their kind of resting cycle now. There, there, are, there are still blooms. I have a large patch of red clover that I find especially uh, magical because I plucked them from my lawn and then replanted them in my herb spiral. And I'm so proud of her growth. She is massive and it's funny because, you know, we see these little plants in the middle of our, our, our grass, maybe sometimes or on the, you know, um, borders of things and these little helpful herbs that are growing everywhere. And, um, you know, red clover is wonderful for, um, for getting into the flow. It's a very feminine herb. Um, she helps with uh, menstruation issues and is very much a um, ally of feminine wisdom and of getting into the flow right and and it attracts blessings and opens the heart and um, brings luck so it's very you know and it's about hope right <laughs> that the flow will continue if you're feeling stuck you know red clover medicine is really beautiful anyway so I you know I plucked her from um, the grass and planted her and she has just thrived this summer and she's still blooming. Um, and it's really, really amazing to watch. Um, okay. So I want to talk about Samhain in a few different ways. One is just kind of, you know, telling you a little bit about what it is. Um, you know, I did a whole wheel of the year kind of podcast towards the beginning of the year, and I haven't necessarily done a very good job of, you know, kind of following that up each time we hit a pagan festival or, uh, you know, uh, or holiday rather, you know, throughout the year. That's my self-criticism. But, you know, Samhain has always been really... Um, special to me and I wasn't ever really sure why you know other than the very um you know Halloween time we always you know dressed up like American kids do and you go out and you trick-or-treat and everything and my kids still do this and you know it's a very interesting holiday now that I don't eat any sugar <laughs> because I'm I'm looking towards you know the fact that there will be a ton of sugar in my house very soon and my kids will be consuming massive amounts of it through the holidays, I, I imagine, because that's what we've turned 
a lot of this into. And it's interesting. Sugar is very important. Um, chemically, I think about, you know, right now the plants are, um, the leaves die off for a reason, you know, and, um, you know, the, the ritual intentions and the ideas behind all of these pagan holidays, Samhain included, which is, um, October uh, 31st and November 1st, uh, but witches tend to, you know, celebrate things for at least three days. And so, you know, you can kind of celebrate the season a little bit. And I love to extend it to the, the whole of Scorpio season, to be honest. But, you know, all of these festivals and, and holidays are really influenced by the natural world. So we look to what's happening in nature during this time of year, at least in the northern hemisphere, and we're looking at the trees letting their leaves turn dead and fall off. And that creates mulch for the ground. It keeps the ground warm. It keeps the, you know, the soil protected from harsh winter weather. The other thing that it does for the plant is the tree is preparing, right? Just as we do. It's maybe unseen in, in so many ways, but what they've found is that, you know, it takes sugar to produce um, energy, right? So, so the, the trees have been, you know, getting all the energy from the sun that it can to produce sugars into the, to the tree limbs and produce flowers and leaves and blooms and fruit, right? Notice fruit is full of sugars. So it's a very interesting way that then once everything dies off of the tree, it's sending its sugars all down to its roots. And if it were still trying to produce leaves during the fall, it would spend all of its energy trying to create rather than sustain. And this is what the medicine of this time of year is, you, you, you know, and, and we talk about this with moon cycle work so often where the full moon, you let go of what is no longer needed and focusing on what's necessary, that kind of thing, right? You're culling, culling the herd of your life one bit at a time, right? But this is the big, um, you know, kind of disseminating moon time of the year, um, all the way to what is considered the new moon of the year, which is the winter solstice, right? The 21st of December, where we have the shortest day, the least amount of quote unquote available energy from the sun and all of that, right? It's really following, you know, these festivals are solar festivals. They're about the solar cycle, whereas the moon has this lunar cycle. It's, it's different and yet intertwined, right? And so it's sending all this, all the, um, energy down to the roots, which in turn makes it a really good time to harvest roots for medicine. And, um, and I went ahead and I pulled a card from the, uh, the, Her the herbal healing deck by Sarah Baldwin. It's one of my favorite, favorite Oracle decks. And it was actually gifted to me by a dear circle sister who just knew I had just this affinity with herbs and she had been turned on to it and had it. She gave me this deck, um, I want to say two years ago now, my goodness. Oh, it is full of just juicy medicine. And I love this deck so much. So I lit a candle, did a little intention setting for Samhain um, and asked the cards to produce for me a little message for you guys and for us. 
Um, and I pulled turmeric, which represents persistence in this deck. It is, in fact, a root um, medicine. So we use turmeric root. And I'm going to read to you a bit um, from her book that, that is provided with the deck just to kind of ground this intention. And it begins, again, the association is persistence, and it begins with a quote by Albert Einstein. Never give up on what you truly want to do. The person with big dreams is more powerful than one with all the facts. And I'm near tears right now because I have been having the most ridiculous kinds of arguments with um, certain people on social media. And I've been really intentional about the way that I quote unquote argue this year. That's something that I've been really trying to get more, you know, more intentional about, more compassionate with. You know, everybody, in my opinion, is doing the best that they can with what they have. And I know from what I have that I am completely fallible, very human, superhuman, as I like to say. And we're all definitely on this spectrum of feeling um, seen and heard and wanting to share our truth and yet feeling attacked when our truth is, um, you know, not for everyone, right? So what does it mean for our truth to not be for everyone, right? And this quote about, you know, the person with big dreams is more powerful than one with all the facts. And I have always had very idyllic dreams and I've always had, um, I remember being young in my 20s, um, really just insisting upon the greater good and thinking I knew what the greater good was too, right? I had a vision of that at the time, which has shifted quite a bit, but also there's pieces of it that are, that are coming back to me now that I say, you know, it's just like we make up this stuff. We made up money and now we act like it owns us, right? We made up all of this stuff and now we act as though we're entrapped by it. And I, I just, I just think it's very interesting. So, you know, turmeric is a superhero herb, you know, it's an antioxidant, it's anti-inflammatory, it's antibacterial and antifungal. And I actually recommended it to, um, to someone yesterday because they're experiencing high blood pressure and, um, and problems with their, um, you know, maybe having some heart stuff. And, you know, it's really good for um, boosting the pita within us, right? In Ayurveda, we have um, an element within us called, fi you know, fire that is pita or pitta. And this energy is the fiery power of our digestion and our metabolism, and it's ruled by the solar plexus. Um, incidentally, last night at the Tarot Collective live Q&A, I pulled Inner Strength, which was also a solar plexus card. It just had, makes me think like how important it is during this time of year to focus on the inner fire, right? When we don't see abundant life growing outside of our ourselves you know when we don't have the visual cues of flowers bursting forth it takes a different kind of fortitude persistence as turmeric reminds us to kind of get through the winter 
And it's such a beautiful medicine, I think, today. So it calls us into action when needed. And now is one of those times. So calling upon our passions is what turmeric is asking us to do. Our deep desire to light up the world in your own unique way. I love this. Calling on the power of the sun, even though the sun is so sparse this time of year for us in the northern hemisphere. And, and, and it's, you know, has this bright golden color, right? And in Sanskrit, um, the word turmeric is kanchani meaning golden goddess. This plant holds the energy of the divine mother who bestows the gifts of abundance, fertility, health, and prosperity. This sacred plant is used in Hindu and Buddhist ceremonies, including traditional weddings, and is considered auspicious. So the message is that thus, even if your present circumstances do not appear especially promising, rest assured that you are cared for and nourished by the divine. And I think this is such a really important message, noticing like we're, where we send our energy during winter to fortify ourselves so that we can fully bloom next spring desires our attention, right? Requires our persistence. When you align your will with the greater good and commit to work for the benefit of others, it is true that sometimes the going gets tough. We may not achieve the instant gratification or success offered by the array of less meaningful and more egotistical pursuits of our culture. Nevertheless, the Divine Mother honors your efforts and will be guided and you will be guided by invisible helping hands. Your commitment, steadfastness and tenacity will earn you a much richer and deeper form of success. You will not need to be perfect to achieve your goals, only persistent. Do not give up on the work that your heart guides you to do. I just want to, you know, oh, I'm so grateful for this message coming forward. I think it's really apt for these times. And, you know, one of the things about Samhain that we um, are are becoming more familiar with, I think, is that the veil thins this time of year. One of the things we don't talk a lot about, I think, in the spring is that the veil is very thin then, too. And that's why right now, um, you know, we are experiencing fall in the northern hemisphere and in the southern hemisphere, they're experiencing spring. The veil is thin on both ends of that polarity. The, the, the veil being thin on that end is 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 the the fire festival Beltane of the wheel of the year and it's gorged and wild and bursting with life right the veil is you know not just thin but you know so permeable everything is pushing with its wild force through that veil when it's thin and here at this time of year the veil thins in a very you know kind of the darkness brings this element of mystery and faith that's needed. Um, and this is why for me, um, and for many, you know, Samhain is about, um, honoring the ancestors that came before us, the people who sustained their own lives so that we can actually have a life. And, um, it's really very, um, expressed in all cultures this time of year, you know, where, um, and in May, by the way, uh, my husband pointed out to me that, um, in the Latinx culture, you know, this day of the dead, they actually, um, had moved it back way back before it was enculturated by the Mexican culture. Um, and I can't remember, I'm sorry, all of the, he, 
gave a very succinct kind of synopsis of of how it shifted times but it actually shifted times from spring till fall so i would say you know you can have a day of the dead on either side of that polarity where the veil is thin and that's because you know when life and death right rebirth and death these are this is the polarity and we swing between it like an infinity symbol you know, we're, we're kind of swaying as the waves do back and forth, undulating between these two polarities of death and rebirth. But what's crazy is that both exist at the same time always. So we focus right now at this time of year on the death part because death is so apparent in the natural world for us um, in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but rebirth is very apparent in the, in the, in the living natural world on the Southern, in the Southern hemisphere. So it's so beautiful. The earth holds both things all the time. So (laughs) to say, and to rely on one side of a polarity all the time is not only unnatural, but it's untrue. And, you know, I'm reminded again of, you know, this powerful desire uh, for something greater and a passion, you know, rather than all the facts, but the facts support, I think, the, the way that we can work with both simultaneously and hold both things at the same time. It's just like when we lose a loved one, it hurts so deeply because we loved them so much, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't impact us if we had not had such great love for them. And this is the duality of, of this kind of <laughs> polarity existence that is a polarity, but also it's the sway. And um, Samhain helps us to, yeah, there's a gravity towards the darkness and and towards the dark times, but it's very much um, wrapped up in us honoring the light that these ancestors once had. I create an ancestral altar. Um, Well, I have one always. Um, I use a little box. I actually went to a craft store, and this is a pro tip, (laughs) I went to a craft store and got one of those boxes, you know, that you might put vinyl letterings on. It's got like two inch. It's like a, um, it's like a shadow box made out of wood. And I painted the edges a light green and, um, had intentioned to paint the inside at some point. I probably will, but it kind of contains my ancestral altar. It's very small, right? It's not very big. And, um, I put things from my loved ones on there. Sometimes I'll have photos of my loved ones on there. I switch it out with different crystals. Sometimes I have stones that were given to me by my father. And even though he's still alive, they represent to me, you know, his ancestral line. I have jewelry from my grandmother on it, uh, grandmothers on it. And, um, you know, I, there's this, there's this reverence that I have. I know that's my ancestral altar. So I have an anchor point for me to remember. And it's by my door, by my front window, um, and along with my other altar. So I use trays for altars. And this is a beautiful way to kind of contain an altar. Um, it also makes it kind of movable. So if you're doing um, work that you want to, you know, kind of move into a different space and sit with your altar, you can kind of move it to the floor and sit next to it, whatever. So mine's on a dresser, it's up away, you know, the cat kind of walks through it sometimes, but generally stays off it, I think, (laughs) at least when I'm home. And so, you know, you can use kind of like a tray or an altar, you know, to to create an altar um, in your home at this time of year, it's really um, good medicine, I think, to 
to have um, something that, you know, reminds you of where you came from, you know, reminds you of the people who have nurtured um, and loved you or the people who you love, right? Like, it's just, it goes on forever. And um, so I, I highly recommend if you do not have an ancestral altar to consider one this time of year. And it might be a living altar. It might be a, a potted plant that you put certain stones in and you just think of that's my ancestral altar, right? You have to tend to it in some way. Mine, my ancestral altar actually has a plant hanging right over it. Um, it's a wandering Jew, one of those purpley striped kind of um, wandering leafy plants. I love it. And it's hanging from um, the curtain rod above it with uh, one of those old school macrame plant hangers that I got from my mother, who I think she got from her grand her mom. And um, it's got all sorts of things hanging on it, butterflies and stuff like that. And I just kind of create these little stories with, with things that mean something to me, right? And it can be very simple and intuitive. So I highly recommend that you have some kind of visual cue that reminds you of your ancestors um, for this time. It's a great way to set a ritual intention this time of year to really clean it up. Of course, you can do it again at both times in the polarity of the year to dress up your ancestral altar. As I said, I work with it um, you know, on ongoing, right? And I'll shift it. Sometimes things stay there a really long time and they feel more like part of it. And sometimes there's things that I only put on it for a certain amount of time. Um, but it's a lovely place to light a candle and think of somebody and ask for somebody's love or assistance. Um, you can ask for um, just anything, really. And you can also, um, you know, it's a way to show gratitude um, as well. So I wanted to share a couple of other things that I associate with Samhain. One of them is, again, spell work and different kinds of ritual that can be done. And the other is um, the goddess Hecate. Now, Hecate has a um, rich tradition. I'm sure she's called other um, goddesses. So Hecate, um, and there is also a lot of ways to say Hecate. I've heard it say um, Hecate. Um God, how many other ways? So many ways. As many as there are witches, there are ways to say Hecate. Um, in the book that I, I have, it says it's pr pronounced Hecate. Um, so, you know, take it or leave it. But it's H-E-C-A-T-E, -E, okay? And um, she's considered by some to be um, a Thracian moon goddess and by others to be a pre ancient pre-Greek goddess of midwives, birth, fertility, the dark of the moon, magic, wealth, education, ceremonies, and the underworld, worshipped at the places where three cro roads cross. Okay, She would walk abroad on nights when the moon was dark, attended by a pack of hounds. People honored her by leaving offering at the crossroads. As crone, she also formed a triad with Persephone, the maiden, and Demeter, the mother, so Hecate was said to, she, you know, um, Persephone, right? She was stolen by Hades and taken to the underworld. And Demeter, the mother, said, well, I'm not going to make um, spring happen until my daughter is returned. And 
Um, so, so Zeus made a deal with Hades that, you know, he would only get Persephone half of the year. And this is how we get the dark and the light halves of the year, um, in mythology. Um, but Hecate is said that she was able to cross to the underworld. So she took Demeter down there to get her daughter. Um, you know, and it's interesting because there's so many, um, goddess myths that are very patriarchal right like between this they're like saying oh yeah we'll we'll go and get her or um you can you know you can have her this time and this time right but in some of the stories that I've heard like Hecate it was like a under the table deal where she went to Demeter and was like let's fucking go get your daughter fuck these guys and so I quite like that version of the myth to be honest rather than the version that says that it was this deal struck between you know, all these men saying, you know, well, we need spring back. So we got to, you know, make a deal. Um, so in this book, I, I use, um, quite often the goddess Oracle in my readings, um, as a punctuation when I'm asking for a goddess ally, somebody who, you know, can kind of come into the reading and help to fortify and strengthen the message as well as provide some allyship to whoever I'm reading for. And Hecate in the Goddess Oracle, um, they all start with a poem and they all have a meaning of the card and a ritual, which is usually a guided meditation. And um, I may record the Hecate meditation and put it on this podcast, actually. So if, you, if you're interested in something like that, of me putting guided meditations into this podcast, that might be some bonus episode stuff. So Crossroads is the name of her poem in this book. I sit in the blackness of the dark moon night with my hounds at the crossroads where three roads converge. At the crossroads, the place of choice, all paths lead to the crossroads and all are desirable, but only one can you travel. Only one can you choose. Choice creates endings and all beginnings come from endings at the crossroads. Which one will you choose? Which way will you go? Which? Through the, though the choice is yours, here's a secret I'll share. The way to choose is to enter the void. The way to choose is to let die. The way to choose is to fly free. And this book is written by Amy Sophia Marashinsky. Um, the meaning of this card in this book when it's pulled, and I didn't pull this card, I chose this card because I think her medicine is really important for this time. Hecate meets you at the crossroads when you must make a choice. Times of choice are not easy times. The challenges presented by choice necessitate a leap of faith from the person doing the choosing. Hecate says to let go of the idea that there are wrong or right choices. There is just choice. Have you been putting off making a choice because it seems too overwhelming or a no-win situation? Does the choice bring up fear of the unknown? Does it seem better and or easier to remain with what you know? Sometimes a choice must be made, yet you are not ready. In such cases, the way to nurture wholeness is to acknowledge where you are, where you are and let it go. Trust that you will be able to make a choice when the time is right. Give yourself self-time and space. Don't press, berate, or blame yourself. You need nourishment here. When you let go, suddenly clarity comes to show you what you need. 
Hecate urges you to embrace the unknown. Know what that whatever you choose will bring you something invaluable that you will use on your path to wholeness. So she creates this perspective of, you know, there is no right or wrong choice. There's just choice. And this kind of, um, one of my teachers, uh, Brooke Castillo from the Life Coach Schools, unrelated to witchy business for sure, but she's taught me so many great things, you know, and it has a lot to do with this divine yes and divine no that I've talked about a lot. I've made posts on Instagram with long diatribes about it. You know, when you say no, and when you say yes, something dies. And so this is the, this is why we hesitate in making a choice. It's why we don't know what we want to do with our lives. It's why we, I don't know. It's really easy to live in the, I don't know forever because when we make a choice, we have to actually carve out what's really important and we have to let shit go. Meaning I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to be that CEO of, you know, whatever and whatever industries, right? I'm going to be this, this is my work. And that can be really scary if we're on the conveyor belt of life, feeling like we're barely holding it together as it is. Right. But again, the person with big dreams is more powerful than the one with all the facts, right? This persistence of our calling that comes up again and again. And every time it comes up, you know, if you have, if you feel like there's a decision that's being waiting to be made, it's likely because you're luxuriating. Um, and this is what Bert Castillo says. You're luxuriating in the confusion, right? You're kind of like, you know, dramatizing. Oh, well, I don't, you know, what if this happens and what if that happens? But what is very interesting is that as soon as you make a definitive choice, the clarity of the road ahead starts to reveal itself. And so, of course, you can't see clearly before you make a choice. And some, and by the way, it's okay to change your fucking mind when you've started walking. You're like, wow, this is a really clear path. I don't like where it's going. It looks really fucking stupid over there or whatever it is, right? And I've been there. I've done tons... I decided when I was about 30, I was super good at making choices. I just decided, right? It was another, I decided I was good at making choices. And so I decided I would make choices even if they were tough ones. And I decided that it was okay to fail um, because it was so important for me to try to do something, right? Rather than wonder about the thing forever, right? You just prove it. Oh yeah, this works. Oh yeah, this doesn't fucking work. Right. I did a while. I was like really in, I'm I love planning. Right. I love planning parties. <laughs> and I decided maybe I would be a wedding planner. Maybe I would be some kind of wedding planner. I love organizing things, all this stuff. So I uh, prior to beginning Painted Goddess as a legit business and getting my business license and all of that fun, fun stuff, I um, planned my friends weddings right? I did my two friends, my friend's wedding. And I planned the whole thing. I did the whole thing. Um, I didn't charge them anything. I kind of, you know, guided them. I really held everything together. They were super grateful. It was beautiful. Um, there was lots of, you know, <laughs> shit, right. That happened along the way that we had to deal with, but 
for the most part, like it went as expected. And at the end I was like, never doing that again. That was a great lesson. I don't want to do that for any amount of money. There's not enough money for me to have that be my life. And it was so freeing. I was like, oh, I'm free of that dream. I'm free of it. <laughs> right? Rather than having thought, oh, fuck, what if that's my calling? Clearly was not. Now, I took pieces of that and I do host events and I love to plan these events that are about healing and about community and about, um, you know, giving self-nurturing care to ourselves, taking time for self-care, uh, ritual intention setting, the, the new moon circles, all of that stuff, retreats, I'm there for it. Very different, but very similar um, tools in my tool belt, right? Talking to vendors, asking for um, deadlines to be met and putting something together, right? All of those things were parts of my skill set that I actually learned in corporate as I was you know, running events and doing trade shows and stuff that I learned can be completely translated into the spiritual work that I'm doing into the, you know, the, the nitty gritty kinds of healing work that I do. So I, I highly recommend that if you've, you know, considered something, try it out and let yourself feel how it feels to be in that space and work with those people that are going through whatever you think you want to, you know, find who you want to work for, who find who you want to serve, what problems you'd like to solve. Okay. There's a few spells that I really want to share for Samhain time. And it comes from a really lovely little book. It's called the good witches daily spell book by Patty Wigington. And it's a quick, simple, and practical magic for every day of the year. I love books like this. I think that this, this book I got actually at the Barnes & Noble up in Federal Way, where I ended up running into somebody who um, knew of my work. It was very surreal and um, one of those ego-stroking moments that I also felt very, like, it was just a very strange moment to meet somebody who knew me already. Um, and, yeah, anyways... If any of you have gone through that, you know, it's very strange to meet somebody who knows you, you know, because you've shared so much of your life online. Um, I mean, this is the same as, you know, I mean, I know so much more about some of the people I went to high school with now than I ever knew about them when I went to high school with them. Right. Because we were all hiding from each other anyways. But um, and, you know, social media is still this, you know, groomed place where we curate what, what's seen, of course. Um but in my work, you know, it's the up and the down as much as possible. Um, anyways, I bought this book because I was in there looking for um, an ephemeris for this year and they didn't have one. I was looking also for a, a, a good planner. I bought the Magic of Eye planner, which I'm super excited about, but I can't fucking wait for it to get here. And it has ephemeris for... Um, not ephemeris, it doesn't have the whole situation, but it has, and ephemeris is, um, a table of all the transits, right? So of the astrological, um, movement, the cosmic weather. And, um, and so I was looking for something cause I, I actually got a gig, um, doing horoscopes for a subscription box. And I'll talk more about that in when that's actually coming to fruition. It's, it's in the works right now. And, um, my first box will launch in November. So that's kind of a big deal, but it's not my box, right? It's anyway, I'll tell, I'll tell more about that. 
Um, but so, so I was there to get a book and I saw this book on the clearance table. It's a hardback book. I think I might give it away. I'll do like a, a giveaway, um, with a few special items. Anyways, super cool book. And for October 28th, she explains a need fire spell, N-E-E-D-F-I-R-E spell. And it's just taking a bonfire, using a bonfire as an offering. Now, Samhain is a fire festival, okay? There are four fire festivals in the pagan calendar, and they are the four corners, okay? So it's Imbolc, which is in February. February 2nd um, is generally Imbolc. And that's like the stirring of the spring. It's like the first seed of spring, like coming for it. It's about rest and regeneration and incubation, right? And then there's the fire festival of Beltane, which is May Day, May 1st, right? And that is also when the veil is thin on the other side, okay? And then um, Lunasa, which is the first um, harvest festival, and that's August 1st, okay? And then there's Samhain. Um, which is August or I'm sorry, October 31st. So those are the four fire festivals. And those are the, those are the, um, uh, yeah. And then, and then the others. So then there's the others are the equinoxes and the solstices, right? So that's how it works. There's four fire festivals and then four solar festivals that are, they're all solar festivals, but there's four that are really based on the turning of the wheel in the year where we hit the equinox, right? Um, uh, the spring equinox is Ostara in March, right? And that's when um, Aries season begins. It's the first sign of astrology, right? So it's like that first part, you know, that's when, when, when the astrological new year is happening, okay? So try and keep track of that. There's like at least three new years that I <laughs> recognize. And then there's the lunar new year that's in, you know, the Chinese and Vietnamese, you know, the Asian cultures. And so there's, I mean, by the way, lunar is not just, I'm just more familiar with the Vietnamese tradition of Tet, which is a lunar new year because I worked with so many Vietnamese people when I was at Field Roast. So we celebrated Lunar New Year every February. It was always like on the new moon in that February month. Um, and it was, you know, a different, they're on a completely different schedule, right? Because lunar years are, you know, lunar months tend like lend themselves to different years than a Gregorian calendar. Anyway, so much there. <laughs> and if you're a super geek about calendars, I highly recommend looking at different lunar calendars of other cultures, countries that are living now who are still using a lunar calendar. Um, and then so, so spring equinox is Ostara, you know, and it got translated into Easter, by the way, but Easter is a whole situation. And I need to talk more about that next year when that happens. And then there's Letha, which is the solstice, right? So we got the spring equinox and then the summer solstice, which is Letha. It's in June. And then we've got the autumn equinox, which is in September, known as Mebon, um, in the pagan wheel of the year. And that's really, which is Thanksgiving. And then we have Yule, which is the winter solstice. So those are the four quarter holidays that have to do with the quarters of the year, right? the equinoxes and the solstices. And then we have the four fire festivals and that's in bulk in February, Beltane in May, 
Munasa in August, and then Samhain in uh, October. And October 31st is considered, which is New Year. Okay, so we do a lot of, um, you know, this ending ending stuff. And to me, it feels like a bonus few months to let all that shit settle before the actual, like, um, <laughs> conventional New Year that we, we hold in America. Um, so I love that because I can have my own kind of New Year's rituals at this time of year. And then when New Year's really comes, I actually kind of know what I actually want to envision for the next year. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So anyways, this need fire spell is one that I think is really lovely and very simple. And so um, the idea is that, so it comes from, in some parts of the, I'm just going to read from the book here. In some parts of the ancient Celtic world, people believed that a special fire called the need fire could bring about magical results only to be used in times of great need. The need fire helped to protect families from plague and pestilence, starvation and exposure, or even marauding tribes, which right now, I think there are a lot of marauding tribes going on. (laughs) Sometimes it was a place to make offerings, seeds to ensure abundant crop or a bit of bone from livestock to make sure your herds were safe through the winter. Your needs may not be quite so drastic, but you can still use the need fire to request the things that you most require. Whatever offering you make should be something that holds true value to you, not just plucked at random, right? Home-cooked food or produce you grew yourself is always a good choice. Do this spell after the sun sets. So you stand before the fire after the sun sets, holding your offering, and you say, my family needs blank, right? You put the item in to help us through the season. My family requires blank and no more and no less. So it's the same thing. You ask for one thing, right? I present this offering, consigning it to this fire in hopes that our needs will be met. Drop your offering into the flames and then let the fire go out on its own, repeating as needed for the next seven nights. Again, which is love long celebrations. Now, you can do the need fire spell. You don't have to have a bonfire necessarily. If you have a fireplace in your house and you don't want to go outside, you can definitely do that um, in your, but you know, then depends on what the offering is, right? My husband would never allow me to, to burn food or bones in our wood fire stove. So, um, <laughs> and for good reason, I'm sure. <clears throat> so, and then one other spell um, is... The Witch's New Year's Resolutions, which is, of course, on October 31st of this book. Um, Again, the Good Witch's Daily Spellbook. And it says you'll need a white candle, a a piece of paper and a pen and an envelope. Pretty, Pretty easy, right? So in many magical traditions, October 31st, a celebration of Samhain, is a holiday marking the end of the old agricultural year. So again, remember, these festivals were created to mark the time of the natural world changing, right? They, they, they had these festivals because it was like, let's mark the time. Let's mark the time. And then when everybody gets together, you harvest, right? These are all harvest festivals. They're, they're like time of abundant harvest. We have so much food. Let's all get together and eat it, right? We have so much um, uh, abundance. Let's get together and celebrate it, right? Or we have so much to kind of process right now. Let's get together and, and make an effigy, right? Um, So this has given um, today the nickname of the Witch's New Year. So it's a perfect time to make some new resolutions. After all, why wait until the end of December if you can do them now? Light the candle, the white candle, and think about what you hope to achieve in the next few months. Write three short-term goals on the paper and tuck it into the envelope. 
seal the envelope and say, as the wheel of the year turns and the seasons change, I will manifest new hopes and dreams for myself. These are my goals and I will see them achieved. And then you extinguish the, the candle and put the sealed envelope someplace safe. Leave it there until you've accomplished all three things on your list. Now, this is, you know, a simple kind of intention setting, a goal setting. And um, yeah, I think this is lovely. And I intend to actually do this um, at my circle on Friday, where we're going to do our witches New Year's resolutions. Um, or at least I'll give them their papers and stuff. We may not do it at circle <clears throat> so that they can do that on their own time. So I love, you know, I always love ritual. I always love intention setting. I wanted to give you a little bit about what this, um, time of year can really mean, what this can um, give you in times when I think it is really difficult. We don't get to go outside as much. We don't have, you know, um, you know, the, the same kind of feeling um, as we do, I think, when summer happens. And also, even though many of us love fall, you know, it does start to weigh, to wear on us, excuse me. And, um, yeah, I just like to say that there is support there in community, and I hope that you are seeking community and collectives around your area that support you and um, that honor you and that you're doing the same, paying it backward to your ancestors who, um, who made you, right? Um, and honoring them has been um, a focus of mine as well, and personally. Um, you know, really connecting with my grandmother has been a really nourishing um, thing for me this time of year, um, but all year, to be honest. So I hope you will take some time to do some intention setting to really honor this time of year, to really honor the work you've done already this year. You know, whenever we do intention setting, it's always good. You know, the release is the gratitude. You know, I think sometimes we get all wrapped up with, oh, what do I need to let go of? Oh, it's doubt and shame and all the things that we all need to let go of, like over and over again, like a clenched fist, right? We're just constantly unclenching the fist of doubt and scarcity and fear, right? It's very entrenched in our bodies to feel that and our nervous system. But, but really this time of year is, you know, how can I be, how, how grateful can I be for what has happened to me this year? right? How, what have, what have I, what have I orchestrated that is really beautiful? What have I, um, what circumstances have kind of crashed into my life to, to force decisions, you know, and how, how can I take that lesson? How can I take the medicine from those experiences and, and, and go into the new year with some goals to achieve something that is, um, the next level of that medicine, right? If I'm learning, how to repattern my emotional trauma so that I can respond in ways of compassion instead of fear. What do those intentions look like, right? It could be an intention to journal more, to, to share more um, with my trusted friends. It could be to, you know, ask for help from those who, um, who offer it. Um, it could be to work on um, my, my home and really make it a sanctuary for myself. It could be to build an ancestral altar. It could be to, um, welcome in more ritual into your life. 
and you know witchcraft is good for all of these things in my opinion and there's a community that's growing to support everyone doing their own work and bringing their unique sense of self to it that feels to me like a new renaissance in a way of awakening to our whole selves our whole divine beings um, and coming from all sorts of backgrounds that have been informed by cultural traditions that are you know Christian in nature and 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 patriarchal in nature and um, and reclaiming them for ourselves from our own experience and Samhain is one of the wonderful places where we bury and uproot at the same time. I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. Um, I really enjoyed sharing all of this stuff with you. If you want to reach out to me, please do so. Head on over to paintedgoddess.com and uh, send me a note. All right. Or you can find me on Instagram at paintedgoddess. You can DM me still. All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. For more information about working with me, go to paintedgoddess.com slash readings, where you'll find my new seasonal offering, the 12 card year ahead spread for Jupiter and Capricorn. On December 2nd, it goes into Capricorn, this planet of luck, expansion, and fortuitousness. Let's find out where it is in your chart and let me do a reading for you. I record it, send it like a podcast that's personalized for you, along with gorgeous pictures of the spread. This offering is 125 normally, but until October 31st, I'll do bookings for $97. I want to fill them up so that I have my holiday time booked up. I'll start these readings in November, and Jupiter turns its nose towards getting into Capricorn on December 2nd. So get in now, get on my books. Thank you so much. 